Hey everybody, this is John, and I am very happy to present a very special mini-episode of the pod. Loyal listeners will remember a couple weeks back, I mentioned that I spoke at one of my favorite places on Earth called Sands Bar, which is an alcohol-free bar in Austin, Texas, where I live. This episode is a recording of the speech I gave. Before we get started, I have to give a couple of shout-outs to two friends— The first to Chris Marshall, the owner, operator, and founder of Sands Bar for inviting me to speak and being so very supportive because I was very nervous doing this, as is very apparent in the recording. And also to my good friend and previous guest on this pod, Tiffany Stewart, for recording and providing me with the audio file. Thank you very much to both of them. Lastly, thank you again for listening to Volume 4, and if you happen to listen to any episode of the Flores and Friends podcast. If you like what you've heard so far, stay tuned for Volume 5, which will be coming in mid-May. Thanks again, and enjoy. Four years next week is coming on the 24th. Um, so I've been sober for two years. I just celebrated two years this past February. Yeah, and I'm on this stage right now at Chris, Chris's invitation, and I'm about to do two things that terrify me. Um, speak publicly about uh, things I'm not proud of, and uh, be the center of attention in a room. I hate it. <laughs> uh, so uh, if you see me start to shake or stumble over my words like a nervous groom, that's why. I, uh, I'm not really good at this sort of stuff. I haven't had much practice at it. But, uh, we got you, Bill. <laughs> and special shout out to my friend Tiffany <laughs> for coming out and being a good friend tonight, like she always does. Uh, <clears throat> so I've been sober for two years. Uh, And I've learned a lot over the past two years, more than I thought I would ever learn about relationships, about people, about myself, Uh, but just a little backstory on me with my relationship with alcohol. I started drinking, I started drinking when I was 16. I am originally from New Orleans, so that might not surprise some people. Uh, Some of the things you've heard about that city is, is, some of the things you've heard about that city are very true. My situation of starting very young drinking is not that uncommon in that town. Uh, and where I went to college, LSU, go Tigers. Uh, national Championship Tigers, by the way. Uh, <laughs> they, uh, I also went to a big party school for college, LSU. Um, so I started drinking in high school. I had to sneak around and do it. I was raised by a very, very strict uh, single mother. She raised me and my brother, my older brother. Um, I love alcohol. I love it to death. I think about it on the regular. Um, but I am not an addict. I'm not. Um, but I was an abuser. I abused alcohol for many reasons. Uh, mainly self-medication, anxiety, boredom, just coping mechanism, whatever, whatever you think it was, it was. Um, and I had a problem. Uh, but I, I just, 
There's a nerve sticking up right now. Uh, <laughs> we, uh, so I started uh, drinking for fun uh, to the point where the situation of my life was I associated fun with, directly associated fun with alcohol. They become interlinked. There was a one-to-one -one relationship to the point where I didn't know how to have fun without alcohol and I didn't know, and if I wanted to feel like I was having fun, even if I wasn't, in these low moments that you have, or the bored moments you have at home, or just nothing better to do, I would drink, because at least that would mean I was having fun. Um, so I moved to Austin in 2016, and you know, I moved away from pretty much everyone I knew. I'd never been to Austin. I moved here for a gig, and uh, you know, still have that gig. And uh, I moved here away from, 400 some miles away from everyone I knew and loved. And uh, that was tough, but I had to do it because as much as I love where I'm from, as much as I'm proud to be from the state of Louisiana, we just need to love each other from a distance. Uh, <laughs> you, know, you know how that goes. Uh, so I moved there, but that wasn't that much of a struggle for me because as much as, as sociable as I am, I'm not one to socialize. I keep to myself. I've been unfortunately painted a loner and a introvert my entire life, which I begrudgingly later in life have accepted. Uh, uh, I, I, I really dislike labels, but it is what it is. Uh, I have a hard time making friends. I don't have a hard time socializing uh, or being sociable with people. If anyone comes up to me and talks to me, I'll be able to talk to you and hold a conversation, but I can go days without talking to people and be absolutely fine. So moving out on here on my own was, you know, that was, you know, it was different, but it was welcomed. Um, but the, one of the things I was, one of the things I was leaving behind was when I did drink, uh, I would drink, you know, 80% of the time I drank, it was fine, you know, out with the boys, hanging out with friends, at a party, at a club, you know, doing whatever. We, we drank and we had a good time, we had shits and giggles, right? Uh, but you know that 20% of the time was when I started to notice that I was just wrecking myself. Hell, my friends even had a nickname for me. They literally called me DJ Drunk John. Uh, it got pretty bad at times, but luckily I was supported by my friends. You know, I've, I've told this story a few times and some people would have accused them of being enabling, but I never saw it that way. I saw it as like they were trying to take care of me because I was such a immature person that I couldn't take care of myself and know my own limits, so I, I owe a lot to them, so I would never consider them enablers. Um, so when I, but what I left behind was that support system. So when I did drink, when I go out here, because I do love to go out, I love to have a good time, even now sober, I, I'm happy to say I can go out, I can have a good time. You know, I probably don't do it as much anymore, not because I don't want to, but it's because I'm 30 and I'm only getting older as days go on. So if it gets me out, it's got to be worth my time because I could be doing much better things like sleeping or just, you know, relaxing. Uh, Y'all, all the over 30 people know what I'm talking about. Um, uh, so it got to a point, so I'll, get to the, I'll cut to the chase here. This is the near rock bottom moment that finally shook me and made me realize I needed to stop drinking. I had tried multiple times because I knew I had a problem. Like, I'm not stupid. I knew I had a problem, but like, I'm sure several people in this room, even though you're aware you have a problem, it takes a lot to make you say, okay, I can't live with this problem anymore. 
So what happened was, it was a couple of years ago, I had friends from back home come into town. And, you know, it's, it had been a while since I really cut loose. It was early in the year, 2018. I was like, you know what? Let's have some fun tonight. And I had friends. They'd never been to Austin, so I was like, all right, I'm going to show you all around. So we hit all my favorite spots, 6th Street. I know, please, they're tourists. I had to show them the touristy spots. Uh, so I went out, and I had a good time with them. I had so much fun. We had such a great time. But I, you know, kept shooting them back. I kept drinking to excess, and I got really, really drunk. And uh, my friends knew I was too drunk to drive home. I drove them downtown to meet them, and they tried to take my keys away. I kept fighting them, and because I just figured I'll sober up, I'll be alright. And then the night came where the bars started closing. It was like three o'clock in the morning, and uh, it was time to go home. And my friends, to her credit, tried to take my keys away. And I literally did one of those, look over there, and I literally darted the other way, ran down the block away from my friends like a madman. I was incredibly drunk, so bear, so please forgive me. Uh, so I was walking home, I was walking in my car, completely shit-faced. Pardon my language if there are any children in the room. Uh, so, I was, yeah. <laughs> so I was... Uh, I was shit-faced walking in my car, and I don't really remember much of this night. Uh, it's kind of blurry. I still don't know exactly what happened. I've, a lot of people have asked me questions about it, but I don't really remember. Uh, so I was walking down, and all I remember is being pushed to the ground. And I was like, what the hell? And I was disoriented, I was shit-faced, and I was tired, because I had spent all night partying and dancing and drinking. So all I remember is seeing someone run the other way, and I tried to get up and chase after them for knocking me down, and then I realized I was, my wallet was gone. So I was like, gotta catch them, but I was too tired, too windy, too drunk to do anything. So I just gave up and fell on the ground, pull out. And so what happened was, I don't really remember what happened after that. Um, I just remember waking up the next day, and I woke up, it was like, yeah, my wallet's gone. That that just happened. That happened. That wasn't a dream. That was very real. And so I went to, I called my mom. First thing I did, call my mom, because I was like, yo, this this is what happened. And I, I canceled all my cards on that shit, all this stuff you're supposed to do. So uh, I went, I, I talked to her, and I was like, mom, I think this is a sign. I think this is something I really need to think about, because this that was very real. And uh, she, everybody since has told me, you didn't get you didn't get mugged because you were drunk, but I've always said being shit faced drunk probably didn't help the situation. Uh, so I I told her I was like I really got to think about this. I think I need to go back into therapy. I think I need to talk to someone about this because this is this is not cool. And then I was like, she's like, how did you get home? I was like, I don't remember. She goes, did you drive? I was like, I hope I didn't. And I uh, so I was like, okay, let me go check my car. That's step one. So I went out to my car, literally checked for dents and blood stains because I was very, very worried that I had hurt someone, but luckily, luckily I did not. Uh, but there, there was an unfortunate sight there. Literally the tire of my driver, my driver's side front tire was hanging off the grill, hanging off the literal grill uh, or the rim. And so I was like, holy shit. And I was like, I couldn't believe it. I had, no, I had no recollection of that whatsoever. I had no idea that happened. I had no idea what happened. And that was the moment. Literally seeing that tire hang off, I don't want to get metaphorical here, but it felt metaphorical at the time. Uh, I was like, 
shit. And I had, it was a Sunday, banks were closed. I had a checkbook, no, nowhere I could use it. Had no money to my name. I had like $5 and I had no money. It was in the wallet. Luckily, I had uh, my license still with me. That was, I had, for some reason, put it in a separate pocket. I don't know why I did that. I don't normally do that. So luckily, that, that caught a break. Uh, but yeah, that, that was the moment. That was the near rock bottom moment because it could have been a lot worse. So it wasn't necessarily a rock bottom moment, but it felt pretty damn close. As close as I ever want to get to a rock bottom moment. And I just realized I, I, got, I called my mom back and told her, and I just broke down and cried, man. I, I'm not one to cry. Like, having an older brother... <laughs> You learn not to cry because, like, that's that's a sign of victory for him. So I uh, I try not to. I had to teach myself not to cry, especially. Uh, and I just broke down, and I felt so pathetic. I felt so weak, and I felt so reckless and so ashamed of myself. And you know, I mean, I'm not perfect. I know that nobody is, but that just felt like an incredibly dangerous thing that just happened. Because not only could I have hurt myself, I could hurt numerous other people. And I was filled with just shame and awfulness. And so that was the morning. That morning, um, February 10th, 2018, uh, Sunday morning, I woke up. I saw that all that happened to me, and I was like, that's it. That's it. And so, yeah, um, I realized that that was, that was the end of my drinking days. And so what happened afterwards, uh, it wasn't... It was simple, but it wasn't easy because alcohol had become such a huge component of my life that I had to reprogram myself in many different aspects. You know, if I'm bored, I had to, you know, realize, hey man, like, you can't just, like, if you're bored, you can't just, you know, freaking drink a six pack and, like, oh man, now life's good now. And, you know, I do like to go out, and I was like, how do I go out now? I usually fly solo. I usually go out because all my friends are married and they never want to go out. Um, or introverts and shut-ins. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, so I had to figure out, like, how do I do this? Like, how do I handle things now without alcohol in my life? Because it had become a crutch. Like, I hate using, saying that, but that's what it was. Alcohol had become a crutch in my life. And so I, those first four months were so rough. They were the, they were so tough. Um, I was so terrified that I would fail. I was so terrified I would relapse and I would, you know, reg regress. Because again, I tried three or four times in my life to quit, and I, you know, I, I, I get to the point where I was like, okay, I'm feeling comfortable, I'm feeling healthy, I'm feeling responsible. Let me start slow and get back into drinking. And I was so worried I would fold like a cheap ten again, but luckily I hadn't because I couldn't enjoy alcohol anymore. Like I literally would see it. Alcohol would be terrified of that, of that situation and just self-destructing again because that's what it, it turned into. It had become self-destructive. And it had been for years. I just had never really, really, really allowed myself to realize that. Uh, but the things I wanted to stress, things I've learned over the past two years is as a solitary guy, as a loner, as a guy who prefers to do things by himself, prefers to go things his own way, do his own thing, and, you know, wants people in his life, but only on his schedule and only on when he feels ready is nobody goes it alone. Absolutely not. 
as much as you want to. No man is an island. Trust me, I've tried. Um, and I, I've been very blessed. I'm very lucky to be standing here that I'm not, you know, that night didn't go even further south. Uh, I'm very lucky that I have such a great support system. My family and friends are much better than I deserve. And I couldn't have gotten there, gotten here, especially those first few months without them, because I leaned on them a lot. Because, again, I don't like sharing things I'm not proud of. I don't like sharing vulnerabilities. But I realized that that's what friends and family are here for. That's why, that's why they're in your life, because to lean on. And everybody needs somebody to lean on. And a few other things I've learned is are, you know, don't give up. You got this. It's not easy. No, it's very tough. It's still tough to this day. Everybody asks when I tell them the story, do you ever expect to, you know, get back into alcohol? You know, maybe a few years down the line, maybe a decade down the line. Well, who knows? Uh, I did have a drink on my birthday because it felt like a special occasion. I had turned 30, so I was like, okay, I'll allow myself one glass of Jameson. And that's all I had. And uh, I have witnesses to testify, so I swear. Uh, <laughs> so I... I don't give up. As as hard as it can get, as 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 low as it can get, as sad as it can get, um, just don't give up. Just keep going. Give it one more day. Give it one more one more hour. Give it five more minutes. It doesn't. Just give it more time. Be patient and be. Don't be afraid to be vulnerable. Don't be afraid to let people in and just do the best you can. We're all in this together. And, you know, it's all right. You got this. You can do it. And I'm very happy to be here. And I'm very happy for all the love I have in my life. And uh, I'm doing... I'd like to say that I have it all figured out. Uh, I have a few hobbies. I write. I have my own podcast. Uh, if anybody ever checks it out, I'll talk to me and I'll, I'll tell you which one it is. I'm not going to do a plug up here because I just feel icky about doing that. But, I mean, I'm sure it's cool, but whatever. Uh, so... I don't know where my life is headed. I just began my 30s. I'm very, I'm reevaluating a lot of things in my life. I had some serious heartbreak last year, serious heartbreak, and uh, it really sucked experiencing that without alcohol in my life. But I just want to, the last thing I'll say is, with living without alcohol is probably the best decision I've ever made in my life. Um, because life feels more real. The The joy, the fun, the the connection, as Chris likes to say, it feels more real and it feels genuine. And I don't doubt it as much. And I don't have to worry about ruining it as much without with alcohol without alcohol in my life. And even the pain feels real. It feels way <laughs> feels a lot worse. Trust me, it was not it was not easy going uh, for a good part of last year. But it felt real. I never doubted. Am I making things worse? Am I? Is this real? Is what I'm feeling real? No, it, it's true. It's real, and that's I think one of the things I never expected about sobriety is it's it's more raw, but it's also more real, and I, I like it much better that way. And uh, thank you all for listening. I did my best. Sorry for stumbling, but yeah. So cheers to sobriety, man.